0: I invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be continuing our time here this morning. Paul's words inspired by God, this uh, letter uh, that uh, he wrote to the Ephesian church and to God's people of all ages. It's often been said that what you don't know can't hurt you. Remaining ignorant and uninformed about something allows the hearer, allows someone to plead ignorance. Not to have to worry about what he or she doesn't know. Not to feel responsible for those things. Or to get upset by what is even not known. But when it comes to this matter that is before us, Here, today, preparing for battle in the Lord's army, what you don't know can hurt you, or at least trouble you, or scare you. And what we can even say about this is what we don't see is very real and can cause trouble for us. Now we know that those troubles, those anxieties, those cares that are brought on by those things that we can't see even now have been taken care of. Let me just lay your fears about that right now. Jesus Christ, he himself has won the war. But we're still engaged in the battles, the skirmishes that exist until Christ returns. Last week we looked at the first three verses of this section where Paul is emphasizing that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but instead is against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And as we have seen in the past couple weeks, as we prepare for battle, the first thing that we are called to prepare for is this call to arms. To be strong in the strength of His might and His power. What we considered last week is the very nature of the struggle. Who or what is behind all of these skirmishes, all of these difficulties, these trials and tribulations that we face. Today, we're going to be looking at the first part of this armor that is necessary for these battles, for this struggle. And then, in the following weeks, we're finally going to hear a call to vigilance, never to underestimate the enemy, to pray As we put on this full armor. Turn with me to Ephesians 6. Beginning in verse 13. And Paul says, Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. The grass withers, flowers fade and fall, but these words of God endure forever. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we do pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate for us these words. God-breathed, inspired by you, penned by the Apostle Paul. But your words to us, the saints of all ages, may we take heed as we listen to this call. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Look at that word that Paul begins this section here with. What is that word? It is therefore. Paul begins this section with that word therefore. And often you may have heard that little phrase, when you see that word, therefore, look at the previous section, look at what is coming, and understand what these words are there for. Paul says two things essentially here. He gives a command and he gives a purpose for that command. He says, take up and so that. Put on the full armor of God. Take up the full armor of God. So that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Or you see, the war may have been won, but the battles continue. The skirmishes continue to go on, similar to the way that continued fighting after the declaration of peace continued in World War II, I know for certain, and in part in World War I. The question, though, is this. Even though we see trials and troubles and tribulations in the world today, do you believe, do we believe that Christ has conquered both His and our enemies and that the war has been won? Do you believe that what you believe is really real? Even though we can't see this enemy do you believe that we are in the middle of a spiritual war, that our struggle is not against what we see, but instead is against what we can't see? Do you believe the Apostle Paul when he states that we are in the midst of a serious spiritual battle? Verse 12, he says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, But against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly realm. What is amazing about what Paul is saying here is not what he affirms, not what he says is, but what he denies, what he says is not. We shouldn't be surprised to hear him say that we are fighting against things that we can't see, those things that are wicked, those things that are supernatural, those powers, spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. For Jesus told Peter that Satan demanded permission to sift him like wheat. Peter himself warns us in his little epistle in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, that your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We're reminded too that Jesus tells us that in the world you have tribulation. Things pressing in upon you to conform to the way of the world. So we shouldn't be surprised to hear that we, because of our union with Christ, by God's grace through faith, we are drawn together in His body and united with Him. We are identified with Him. If we are Christians and believers, it shouldn't surprise us that we are going to be attacked. And we are called to be actively engaged in these spiritual battles, to stand firm. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Paul is adamant on this point. We have become so much, I'm afraid, like the world that we live in, trusting in those things that we can only see and feel and touch, that we forget that this struggle is not against flesh and blood. What we do know is where the Word meets the world, there's going to be trouble, there's going to be struggle. There's going to be trials and tribulations. That's the way it's been from the beginning. God declared to the serpent that there would be enmity. There would be hatred between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. So it will be till the end. Oh, in a very real sense, that enemy is restrained right now. But one day, he will be totally done away with. So we ask, as we come to this passage, as we live our lives out in this world, where there is so much trouble and trials and tribulations, how can we fight? How can I fight those things I can't see if they're not physical? How do I fight that? The idea of spiritual warfare was never so real to me as when I was called into the ministry and was confronted, I won't go into the ways but confronted in ways that i had only read about but had never seen their spiritual battles in ministry for pastors for teachers for you for believers and christians called to live out your lives in this world The one in the ministry, pastors, teachers, those called as children of the one true God might as well have a bullseye painted on our chest and on our backs if we are actively living lives that God has called us to live. Anyone in the ministry knows that this battle is not against things that we see but against things that we can't see. It is not against flesh and blood. Whether you recognize it or not. Whether you accept it or not. Whether you can see it or not. We are in the middle of a war. The battles that go on. Spiritual war. What we don't know can hurt us. What you can't see can cause you a great deal of discomfort. Ignorance about these things is not bliss. So, we are called to be soldiers prepared for battle. Those who go into the battlefield are trained and assigned equipment to prepare them for battle. For those wars and battles and skirmishes that they are confronted with as they go into enemy territory. And the soldier of Jesus Christ must not expect to find ease in this world. It's a battlefield. And what is implied by Paul's words here in Ephesians 6 is that if we do not recognize this, We're going to suffer at the hands of the evil one. So we are told to do what? Put on your battle gear. Put on the full armor of God. This is God's armor that He provides for us to put on. So that you will be able to do what? To stand firm against the schemes, the methods of the devil. And what is implied here is that if we do not put on the full armor of God, we are not going to be able to stand against those evil schemes and methods of Satan and his minions. Thankfully, God has made provision for us. See, if it's our aim to mature to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as Christians, if it is our goal to withstand the attacks of the enemy, the evil one, then we must put on this armor described in these verses. Not just the individual pieces, but the full armor. This is how God means to keep us safe until the day of salvation. You see, we pray in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Have you ever wondered how God answers that prayer? He gives us this armor. The full armor of God. The belt of truth. The breastplate of of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So Paul says, therefore, put on and stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with what? with truth. A Roman soldier always wore a tunic, an outer garment that served as his primary clothing. It was usually made of a large piece of square material, a piece of square material with the holes cut out for the head and the arms. Before battle, it was therefore necessary To carefully cinch up that loose loose clothing and tuck that clothing into a heavy leather belt girded about the soldier's loins. It would be like me trying to run a race or get away from an enemy in this robe. I mean, I trip sometimes just coming up the stairs on the, the length of this robe. I would have to gird it up, cinch it up, and put it around my waist under my belt. What is truth that Paul speaks about here? Is this truth in the sense of doctrine? The truth of God's Word? Or does this mean truth in the sense of my integrity and faithfulness? Your integrity and faithfulness as a believer. Doctrine? God's Word? Or integrity and faithfulness of the believer? Don't you love it when the answer is, well, it's yes to both. We have to answer it's both. Many commentators wrestle with this question over that particular topic. But whichever way we take it, it's important for us to understand that this truth is worked deep into the inner parts of the believer, the child of God. Produces integrity of life and faithfulness of service That is, it it, it comes out of. It's based on. The truth of God's Word, the doctrine that is before us, the teaching, the Word of God contained in the Scriptures of the Old and New Testament is our only rule for faith and practice. We literally don't need anything else. In other words, we must have truth massaged into every part of us, worked into our hearts, and that truth produces a, a sincerity of mind and heart, wholeheartedness, integrity, if we are going to be able to stand in the day of evil. I know many people don't like that D word. They don't, they, they don't like that word Doctrine. Just give me practice. Well, in order to give you the practice, we have to base it on doctrine. And Paul does that. Invariably, in all 13 of his little epistles and and letters to the churches or to individual people, he bases his do this on because of this. Live this way because God says this. Doctrine has to be worked right down to our very bones and the marrow of our being that it becomes so much a part of us and affects everything about us that our default is God's Word. is the doctrine, the teaching, so that we become people of truth and integrity, not based on anything in the world, but based upon God's Word. That we might be able to resist the devil in the day of evil. God's word is inspired. The scriptures, literally, that we have in our hands, although it is an English translation—whether you're reading NIV or ESV or New American Standard or New King James or King James—it's all based upon the the, the manuscript evidence that we have that this is God's Word of the Old and the New Testament. Not only are the words inspired, but the organization of it is inspired. So when we see something mentioned first, it's not that Paul said, oh, let me think what is important here, although he may have done that, inspired by God. He put this down first. He mentioned truth first. Why truth? Could it be that successful spiritual warfare begins with fixing the great doctrines of our faith firmly in our minds? And where do we get those doctrines? From the Word of God. Put it another way, it's dangerous to rush into battle without having those doctrines of faith fixed firmly in our understanding. In Christianity, truth comes first and then action follows. As I was reading, I came across a little uh, illustration uh, from Andrew Bonar, minister of the Free uh, Church in Scotland, uh, early 1800s it was that he wrote and pastored. First imagine this situation uh, in which a Christian dies and goes to heaven and there meets some of the inspired writers of the biblical text. Ezekiel was one of those. Go figure. And next to him was Malachi and Amos and Habakkuk and Obadiah and Jonah and Micah and maybe even Isaiah was standing here in this group. And they managed to strike up a conversation with this newly deceased person who was entering into heaven. And this Christian says, I'm glad to meet you all, each and every one, to these men. God used to write his words that we have in our hands. The man looks at Ezekiel and he says, What a pleasure to meet you. And Ezekiel says, I'm glad you're pleased to meet me. Tell me, what did you think about my book? Now, I know folks here, because we've been through Ezekiel, would say, Great things about this book, but this particular man said, Well, I'm afraid I didn't really get to it. I didn't read it, it was way too long. Well, Malachi, who's there standing in this group, said, Well, my book's a little bit shorter. Shorter than Ezekiel, certainly you read it. What do you think of what I said? And the Christian admits that not only did he not read it, he wondered if it was in the Old or the New Testament. You see, the point is, how familiar are you with the Word of God? The 66 books of our Bible, of the Old and the New Testament. Words inspired by God that are our only rule for faith and practice because in our spiritual warfare against our terrible enemy, the first piece of armor that God provides for us is the belt of truth. Let me encourage all of us to read faithfully God's Word daily. To study it prayerfully. To meditate upon it mindfully. The psalmist in Psalm 119 verse 11 says, Your word I have treasured in my heart. How can you do that if that word is closed? On your shelf, on your side table, and maybe you only hear it when you come to worship on Sunday morning? Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against You. Could those be our words? Stand firm. Having girded our loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. See, no Roman soldier would go into battle without his breastplate. A tough Sleeveless piece of armor that covered his full torso, front and back. It was often made of leather or heavy linen onto which they were sewn overlapping slices of animal hooves and pieces of metal. Some of those armor, battle armor, were made of large pieces of metal molded or hammered to conform to the body. And the purpose of all that was to protect, obviously, the vital organs to protect the heart and the lungs, the intestines and the other vital organs. And although I've never been in the military, I've been acquainted with those who have been and are and are looking forward to going back in even as chaplain. Soldiers in the United States Army are issued handguns, combat uniforms, boots, protective gear, including what I'm told is a, a modular, a scalable vest, a ballistic combat shirt, a, a, a blast pelvic protector, an enhanced combat helmet. I wonder why they need all that to prepare for battle with things that they see. And Paul is saying, put on this armor and prepare for battle for things that you don't see. Here, the Apostle Paul is saying that in order to stand firm in the day of evil, we are issued this breastplate of righteousness. What kind of righteousness is this? Well, like truth, it has sort of a a double meaning for us. The Apostle Paul loves to talk about the imputed righteousness of Christ. Christ's righteousness placed to our account and received by faith alone. And that righteousness placed to our account when we are saved through faith by God's grace. We receive Christ's righteousness and He took upon Himself our sin. And the penalty of that sin. So is Paul talking about that righteousness? Or is he talking about that righteousness which the Holy Spirit is working in us and through us as we are being sanctified and morally transformed? The answer is yes. <laughs> we are sinners. Now more and more by God's grace, prayerfully we are becoming by God's grace more Christ-like. Sanctified as the Holy Spirit is working in us. So we might ask that question, well, what is sanctification? Sanctification is the work of God's grace whereby we are renewed in the whole person, the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. And our growth in grace is never separated from the imputed righteousness of Christ placed to our account. So that as we are grounded and accepted by God because of a righteousness that is not our own, so also more and more we grow by the work of the Holy Spirit into being Christ-like Dying to self, living to righteousness, laying aside the old self, and putting on the new, as Paul says in Ephesians 4 and in Colossians 3. So Paul is telling us here that out of that righteousness of Christ that is credited to our account so that we are accepted not because of what we have done, not because of what we deserve, not because of what Christ... We are accepted out of that imputed righteousness of Christ that flows a life out of which we are serious about growing in godliness so that a devout and holy life, a sanctified and moral upright life is essential for our battle. Put on the breastplate of righteousness is to live in daily Moment by moment, humble, reliant obedience to our Heavenly Father and the truth of His Word. That part of God's armor, armor is holy, living, for which God supplies the standard and the power for which we must supply the eagerness, the willingness by God's grace and the submission. See, we cannot engage in often what is called Cafeteria Christianity. You've been to cafeterias that serve buffet style. Well, maybe not so much these days. It may even be a thing of the past. Where you go in and you choose what you want and what you don't want. We cannot engage in that sort of Christianity. We cannot, in other words, mix our own morals... Choose our own values, pick our own commandments, and top it off with pursuing our own wills. There's one menu, and it calls for spiritual discipline. You know why the lives of so many young men, it seems, and women, as they go into the military, are transformed, often for the better. When they serve in the armed forces, they learn discipline. They learn obedience. Should they ever go into the war, that is essential. It's the only way that they can ever hope to maintain any advantage individually over the enemy. And it's no different for Christians, my friends. To survive in the battles of life, we must be disciplined and obedient. Even to the point of death, well trained and ready to stand firm with the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. I'm told that at Scott Air Force Base in Bellevue, Illinois, there's a sign that hangs that says an untrained soldier is just a target. Well, you know what? We could insert an untrained believer is just a target. Soldiers of Christ, an unarmed, undisciplined Christian, is just a target. For the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, Paul says, so they might not see the light of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We live in that world. And since we are living in enemy-occupied territory, we must remain vigilant. We must maintain a life of discipline, a life of worship and prayer and studying the Word of God. For these disciplines cannot be sporadic. Well, I feel like it today, and I might get to it day after tomorrow, I just can't seem to work it in my schedule, make time. You hope to remain strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. For Paul says, Therefore, what is this therefore? It's to prepare us for battle. Take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to do what? To stand firm. Have you ever thought about this? We're not fighting to win the war. For the war has already been won. The war has already been won through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And in Him, Paul says in Romans 8, we are more than conquerors. As I think about this, War being won, subduing the enemy. Joshua immediately comes to mind. Remember the account in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. And it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, coming from Jericho, coming from the walled city was a man standing opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or against us? Are you for us or for our adversaries? And the man said, No. <laughs> Rather, I indeed come now as captain of a host of the Lord. And what did Joshua do? Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down as if to worship Him and said to Him, What has my Lord to say to His servant? This one coming from Jericho met Joshua saying, I've not come to take sides. I've come to take over. The enemy has already been conquered the commander of the Lord's army had already come with sword drawn in his hand from the city of Jericho. All God's people had to do was go in and obediently take the city, subdue the land. Hearing this, Joshua bowed in submission, ready to be obedient. With a belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, he was told to walk around the city to do something that seemed... Nonsensical. Walk around the city of Jericho once a day for a week, seven times on the last day, and on that last day, blow the horns of the trumpets and shout, and God promised to flatten the walls of the city and to give Joshua and his people victory. See, many in that commander of the Lord's army in Joshua see our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If not then, certainly now, in the way that He has come into this world and subdued as our conquering King all His and our enemies. He has entered into the battlefield, this world on our behalf, and the enemy has been conquered in and through Him. And before us is this land of promise A life flowing with milk and honey. And in order to get into that new heaven and that new earth that God calls us to, we are going to have skirmishes even though the war has been won. See, when Jesus... Paul said, had disarmed rulers and authorities. He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through Him. That's a present reality. But thanks be to God who gives us the what? The victory right now through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The war has been won. The battle still must be fought by soldiers. You arising and putting on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness as the enemy continues to seek someone to devour. Therefore, take up that whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, stand firm. Heavenly Father, O Lord, we are weak. We are often ineffective. We are not strong. But as we come to You, Lord, submitting ourselves to You, the power of Your Word, Father, we know, because You have told us in that Word that Christ has conquered both His and our enemies. Lord, we look forward to that day when our faith will be sight, when we will rejoice with the saints of all ages, even Ezekiel and Isaiah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John from the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, and live with you for all eternity. Where there will be no more sorrow, no more sin, no more suffering. Where the old order of things that we live in today will have passed away and the new will certainly have come. What a day of rejoicing that will be. Father, we give you thanks for the armor that you give to us. May we meet our enemy with confidence and assurance that he already has been overcome. Father, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.